Did I ever tell you about the time where I almost shot my best friend in the head? True story. I was over at my buddy's house and his dad had a pellet gun. Now, normally I wouldn't be interested in seeing an air gun, but this one had my attention because this pellet gun, you could pump it up so much, you could get so much air pressure that they had to discontinue that model because it was lethal. So I thought that was kind of cool at that time. And so my friend was showing me this gun. And as he's, he's talking about it, I've got it, and I'm pumping up this pellet pistol as much as I possibly can until I couldn't possibly get any more air into it. And when he was all done telling me about it, I said, is it loaded? And he said, no. And so I put the gun right up to his head. And I said, are you sure it's not loaded? He said, no. And in my head, what I was going to do is I was going to pull that trigger and have a puff of air that was going to hit him in the face. And that was going to be funny. But then just before I pulled the trigger, I remembered something that my dad told me. I grew up around guns. We used to go shooting all the time. And, and one time when I was out there, my, my dad said, you know, Chris, it's the unloaded guns that kill people. And so hearing that voice in my head, it was enough to just get me to move the gun a little to the right. And I pulled the trigger. And guess what happened? I put a hole in the wall right next to him. That pellet went in so deep, we couldn't find it. That voice was so important. Was my friend wrong? Yeah, he was. Some say truth is relative. I disagree. Truth matters, and it matters a lot. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that I listened to my father's voice that day instead of just doing whatever seemed right at the time. Can I show you one of my new favorite Bible verses? You're going to love this one, Sam. It's this, Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. Isn't that good? I love that verse. At Emmanuel, we are huge fans of fact-checking. But how many of you found it is getting harder and harder to fact-check well? If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The way that many people fact-check, it confirms false narratives. It has never been easier to find people who believe what you believe. So you believe something, you, you get challenged on it, and then you go to fact-check it, and you just fact-check a source that already believes what you believe because people believe everything. They, they, you can always find someone to support what you support or approve of things that you approve of. And as we've talked about countless times, these echo chambers are just making things worse instead of better. So we've talked about that before, but now let me add an additional layer that, that factors into this discussion about truth that we're having today. There's, there's another layer. I invite you to write this down too. Subconscious messages are hurting people too. So it's not just thinking you know the facts and fact-checking and confirming a false um, fact. It's also the subconscious messages that are hurting people too. Did you see the story that came out this week about Instagram? Someone got a hold of internal documents from Facebook and Instagram. And according to their own internal research, their products are having a toxic effect on teens. This is Facebook and Instagram's own research. And while everyone knows in their conscious mind that picture-perfect bodies and picture-perfect lives aren't realistic, 
what happens is our brains are wired in such a way where we think seeing is believing. And so all of these people, especially young girls, are getting these messages in their brains, this constant consumption of images that, that is unrealistic and is having profound effect on them. Here's a quote. I saw several articles that reference this story. There's, this is a quote from one of the articles I saw this week. And this is from the Wall Street Journal. More and more teens are recognizing that Instagram is having an increasing effect on their levels of anxiety and depression. Look at what Facebook and Instagram's own internal research says. This, this reaction that the teens are saying, hey, this is having a bad effect on me. Look at this. The reaction was unprompted. It was consistent across all groups. Now, I don't know what's more tragic. I don't know if it's more tragic that Facebook and Instagram know this and they're continuing to go forward the way they're going forward. I don't know what's more tragic, that or the fact that teens themselves, people themselves, we know this and we continue to consume anyway. Last week, we launched a brand new teaching series called Whatever, Whatever. For most people, their whatever approach to media consumption is like this. Whatever is on, whatever is entertaining, whatever makes me laugh, whatever is buzzworthy, whatever others are watching, whatever helps me decompress, whatever passes time when I have to wait, whatever confirms what I already believe, I will consume these things. In this series, what we'd like you to do is to consider a different set of whatevers. If you have a Bible with you, let's open up to Philippians 4.8. This is a passage we're probably going to look at each week of the series because it gives us an alternate set of whatevers. If you don't have a Bible at home, uversion.com's got a great free app that you can download uh, to have a, a copy right, right at home. All right, this is what we're reading here is an excerpt from a first century letter. It was written by a man named Paul, a real person to real people who lived in a Roman colony named Philippi. And he writes this. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Did you notice the first thing on that list? What was it? Whatever is true. First thing on the list, whatever is true. If we don't pursue truth, how do we even know what justice looks like? If we don't pursue truth, how do we discern purity from impurity? Without a framework for what's true, what's our standard for excellence? If we're fuzzy on what's true, we are almost guaranteed to aim at the wrong target. We could end up hurting somebody, including ourselves, including people we really love and care about. I did a little research this week on truth. And what would truth have meant to Paul? This was fascinating. Take a look at this equation that we're gonna put up on the screens. Truth equals God's word equals reality. As a devout Jew, Paul had a deep connection to the scriptures that make up what we call the Old Testament. In those scriptures, God's word is truth. Now think about this. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he wrote his letter in Greek and he wrote it to a world that had been heavily influenced by Greek thinking. The Greek concept of truth emphasized reality. 
Okay, let's bring all this together. For Paul, truth was not a subjective thing. There were other words for opinions. Truth was not a subjective thing. Truth was about whether or not the gun's loaded. And if you want to ground yourself in reality, at its deepest, most foundational level, Paul would be the first to say, if you want to really understand truth, you want to really understand the real world, you've got to understand and listen to and abide in the word of God. Now, I'll confess right now, my original plan, as I was in big picture, rough thinking for today, talking about truth, I was going to spend most of this time saying, it is going to be so important for us to, to learn how to, how to, to not just look at one news feed or one story and, and those types of things. And, and to not just fill our heads with all these images that are really shaping our understanding of reality. I was going to spend most of our time on that. I'm not going to spend any more time on that than, than the time I just spent right now. Because where did the word t- take us? The word takes us to a much deeper place. Those other things are really important, but that's still the shallow end of the pool. It'll still keep you in the shallow end. If you want to go to the deep end where where Paul was, Philippians takes us into those deeper waters. In fact, look at this. Just this morning, just this morning, I was reading from the book of Micah, one of those scriptures that Paul would have been familiar with. And look at how it starts. It says this, Micah 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Do you want to be able to hear the word of God? A voice that ended up telling Micah things that almost nobody else could see. After reading these words, this is my morning, this morning, uh, my morning, after listening to these words, I, I was listening to one of my playlists that I have. I've been using to start my day with, with, with worship and the word. Well, here's a line from one of the songs. Is it true today? That when people pray, cloudless skies will break and kings and king queens will shake. Yes, it's true. And I believe it. I'm living for you. You know, most of us, we're so detached. What we call faith is so detached from the faith that we see in the scriptures. Paul's pursuit of truth, it led him into these deeper waters, into this reality that exists that most of us never even connect with. Last week, we saw a snapshot of from Paul's life when he was actually in Philippi. And this woman named Lydia, she had been going frequently to a place of prayer, but it wasn't until Paul showed up that she was introduced to God in a way that changed her and her whole family. Later, when other men saw an opportunity for profit in a young girl who, who could fortune tell, Paul, he saw something else. He saw this girl was subject to a form of possession. And Paul knew what needed to happen for that spirit to come out of her. And when Paul was beaten and imprisoned for doing that, for doing that good thing, Paul was able to sing. And every person in that prison could see. Paul was connected to a deeper reality than they were. He was the only one in that prison who was free, including the jailer. Why do I say that? Because that night, the jailer saw miracles that set captives free, that opened prison doors. And that night, the jailer washed Paul's wounds, and then the jailer was able to have his own sins washed away 
through the waters of baptism, him and his whole household. If you want to anchor to truth that opens prison doors, let's take a master class from Paul. Let's go back to our text. Philippians 4 verse 9 says this, what you have learned and seen and received and heard and seen in me, what does it say? Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. One of the big themes that runs throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians is that followers of Jesus were called to live out the example of Jesus of Nazareth, the one that he modeled and taught. I encourage you to write this down. Paul invites us to practice the things that he learned from Christ. Like no one before or since, Jesus was anchored to a reality that is known to those who know the word of God. Consider these words from Jesus that were passed down to us from an eyewitness. This is from the book of John, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. I say this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, at this Global Leadership Summit that we, we talk about frequently, which we're going to do again right here a year from now, well, next, next August, one of the keynote speakers was bringing up a very challenging word. And I loved what this speaker said before the speaker brought this challenging word. He said, I need to turn up the heat here because Jesus did. And, and I need to spend less apolog time apologizing. I'm going to apologize for something right now. I'm going to apologize for apologizing when I've turned up the heat in the past when Jesus does. The Jews of Jesus' day, they got really defensive, really defensive when Jesus mentioned slavery. Take a look at this. Let's backtrack a little bit. Verses 33 to 35 says, they answered Jesus when they heard what Jesus said about the truth will set you free. They answered Jesus, we are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Look at this. Here's the heat. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. When the Jews heard those words about slavery, they, they got defensive. They say, what are you talking about? We aren't slaves. Let me just be candid. I've lost track of the number of times, anytime we bring up sin, that people have a similar reaction. There's all of these defensiveness, all these walls that come up right away. Now, I, I, I get it because a number of you grew up in situations where shame culture was, was the norm. And I wanna hear that, I wanna name that, I wanna validate that. But I also wanna challenge you, if, if you've got those defensiveness, look around you. That's no longer the norm. The, the, the norm is a disregard when it comes to this important biblical word and concept. Can we have a truth conversation about truth and about sin. Can we name something that the Word of God names? It's a name that is given to something that corrupts what is good. It's a name that's given to something that enslaves. Let's take a look. One time I was like, why, why is it that sin seems like it's more than God says this is wrong and I do it anyway? Because it is. 
take a look at this. Here is a partial list of what the word of God says about sin. All have sinned. Sin is a deliberate disobedience. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion. The devising of folly is sin. Hostility towards God is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. Arrogance and pride are sin. Suppressing the truth is sin. Failing to witness when called upon is sin. Unfulfilled vows to God are sin. Deceiving your neighbor is sin. Touching something unclean is sin. We can have sinful thoughts. We can sin against each other. We can sin against the Lord. We can sin against our own bodies. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it sins. Those around us can cause us to sin. Our leaders can cause us to sin. Sin apparently can seek us out. It is, impo- it is possible to sin unintentionally as individuals and as a congregation. And whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You know what would be really interesting right now if we were in a small group is we could walk through this list that I've just given us And then we could look at our playlists and we could reflect on how much of our playlist is really sin-saturated. And and, and I hope you can hear this, not as someone who desires to bring any shame. That's not my intent at all. But I hope you can hear this from someone who wants us to be set free. And I'll just be very transparent with you. When I struggle with different sins, they're all enslaving. You know, the, that, that's one of the things. Uh, I can't think of any sins that I personally struggle with that don't have an addictive quality to them. In this world where there are so many things that can enslave us, let's not forget the invitation that Jesus extends. He says, if, if we abide in his word, then we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. We want to make this series as practical as we can. And so for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to point you to four practices that draw us into God's word and the reality and truth that they anchor us to. So let's take really quickly a look at these. The the first one, Philippians filters. Here's a quote that sums up our situation really, really well. The scarcest resource of the 21st century is going to be human attention. So isn't it great that Paul gives us some focal points where we should put our attention. Philippians 4.8 is a great set of filters for us to focus on and be more purposeful about. All right, another practice, our stop cues, stop cues. Back in the day, stop cues used to be built in when it came to media consumption. They were just there. You finished a newspaper. What was a stop cue? The newspaper was done. You got to the end. There were other stop cues. Your stop cue for using the phone or TV or computer, it was as soon as you left the house because you couldn't bring it with you. There were stop cues that were built into our lives. Well, today's media, it is designed to keep you constantly scrolling. So what we need to do is develop our own stop cues. You know, things like, I'm I'm gonna turn off my device every day at this time, or something like, on a certain day, I'm I'm just gonna not engage with media. Or when I'm eating with others, I'm gonna put the phone down. Now, specific to truth, you might want to also have some content stop cues. If you continue to find that there is a source that is misleading you or misrepresenting truth, if they mock 
the concept of sin. If they're trying to tell you and, and, and show that, that sin is in a positive light, if there's content that distorts truth, that might be a stop cue right there. All right, here's another practice. Now I changed the wording on this one to the first 15 and the final few. These practices, what they're about, is they're about aligning us the first 15 minutes of every day and the last few minutes of every day, aligning us with the word, God's word, as we begin and end each day. We can't practice Christianity without guidance from God's word. Jesus himself, he put it like this, John 17, 17. Your word, he says, is truth. Jesus quoted the scriptures. He ordered his life around the scriptures. He fulfilled the scriptures. And what we're going to do is in this coming ECC mail, the one that's coming out this coming week, we're going to have some clips, a clip of myself, Sam, Dan, three different ways that you could apply um, specifically the first 15. All right, let me give you one more practice. And this is a term that I just started using this term a few weeks ago to describe this practice. And I'm calling it shock the pool, shock the pool. During the pandemic, we got one of those above ground pools. And even if you're regularly filtering water, even if you're regularly adding chlorine, I found out the hard way that there's also something you need to do. It's called shock the pool, where you from time to time hit the pool with an extra dose of purifying agents to bring that water back to a clear state. For me, I can do those other three practices, but I still need to shock the pool. Like here are some examples for me for shock the pool experiences. A great camp, a great conference, a great retreat. It was, it was spending two summers at, the gospel, at a gospel mission in Minneapolis. It's my regular visits to see our friends at Emmanuel Children's Home. For me, one of the things I needed to do when I converted to Christianity there was about a four-year stretch where I, I, I went cold turkey from secular media. That The whatever approach that most people are taking, it's not working. And so here's some examples of practices that we can do, these four things, that put us on a different path. Well, as we bring today's teaching to a close, let's make a conscious decision right here, right now, to align ourselves with truth. As I was preparing for our upcoming series on race and doing the best I could to get at the truth of what's going on here, I came across this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, in human relations, the truth is hard to come by because most groups are deceived about themselves. Rationalization and the incessant search for scapegoats are the psychological cataracts that blind us to our individual and collective sins. He who lives with untruth lives, or lives, sorry, he who lives with untruth lives in spiritual slavery. Freedom is still the bonus we receive for knowing truth. There are reasons why King's words have stood the test of time, aren't there? And those words of his are anchored in whose words? Jesus, who said this? If you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me give you one last equation. Another equation that comes from a deeper dive this week. For the Jews, abiding in God's word led to truth, which led to freedom from sin and oppression. For the Greek philosophers, knowing the truth 
led to freedom from falsehood and deception. So here's my equation based on what Jesus said in context. Abiding in God's word equals knowing the truth equals freedom from sin and oppression and falsehood and deception. Do any of you want more of that? If so, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you don't create and cast a vision for a shame culture, but instead you draw us to truth, to a truth that sets us free, including freedom from shame, because we can realize that we can be adopted as your sons and your daughters. Father, I pray for my friends who are gathered around these screens, which can be used for good things like this. Use this moment to open our eyes and our hearts to where we've allowed ourselves to become misled, where we've allowed untruth to fill our hearts and our minds over and over and over again. Holy Spirit, would you inspire us and empower us right now to see reality and the the truth of what our lives could be if we completely trusted you. Lord, help us to have the courage and conviction right now to begin some new practices that set us free. And Father, I just feel prompted right now too to specifically pray for those who are perhaps under so much influence of the enemy that it's really hard. In fact, impossible for them to break free on their own. Holy Spirit, set them free in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.